0: This is The River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. When I was thinking of advertisers for this podcast, well, I didn't think of a car dealership. And yet, I have two vehicles both purposely purchased to get me to the rivers. I want to introduce you to someone, Jay Weibel. Jay grew up in Fort Collins, started kayaking the Poudre at age 12, and his first day on the Poudre this year was a snowy day in March. Jay is the owner of Fort Collins Nissan and Fort Collins Kia. Jay, what do you want to tell us about the Poudre River?
1: The Poudre River and all rivers have a limited square footage of riparian habitat, that critical ribbon of green, of trees, shrubs, grasses that briefly extend out from the riverbanks. This riparian habitat is critical for the river itself, for the terrestrial and aquatic animals, and for the beauty of our landscape. We must work to protect this sacred square footage of riparian habitat. My name is Jay Weibel. I am the owner of Collins Nissan and Collins Kia. I love the Poudre River and I'm working to
2: protect it. Really what's needed as we go forward with those agreements is the federal permits and the, the local permits that we're getting. So we anticipate by the end of this year, we'll have the local and federal permits in hand that then we can go to those ditch companies and say, we're ready to go with starting to talk about this. It's hard for them to make an agreement for this kind of exchange if there's no certainty of the permits being in hand. We wanna make sure we've got the permits in hand before we complete our negotiations and complete our deals with those farmers. That being said, we've already been out talking to them and they're very receptive. They are seeing the pressure both within Northern Colorado and in the metro area, looking to come to buy and dry their farms. They recognize that what we're proposing to do allows them to remain in irrigated agriculture.
0: This episode is the first in a set of three we are producing about the Poudre River and the South Platte River Basin in North Central Colorado. This episode is about the idea of pulling water out of the Poudre River to deliver it to 16 different communities along the Front Range of Colorado. The Poudre River begins in Rocky Mountain National Park and flows east down the steep terrain coursing the eastern edge of the southern Rocky Mountains headed toward the Great Plains. Its life in the mountains is a pure mountain river life with a continental divide, a national park, U.S. Forest Service wilderness, and wild and scenic river status. Once the Poudre River finishes its mountain run, it settles on more flat terrain as it leaves the Poudre Canyon just west of Fort Collins, Colorado. Here, in this terrain where the river leaves that steep mountain country, there are two separate proposals on the table to pull water from the river and submit it to human consumption, mostly via household use. One proposal is a pipeline delivering water 70 miles south to the city of Thornton, and the other is for a project called NISP, which is designed to impound water in two reservoirs for use in 15 municipalities. Yes, it's true, we all need water. That is absolutely true. The question posed by these water projects is, how much can the Poudre River give?
3: The Poudre has historically been a working river, uh, meaning that it has significant diversions. A lot of the water is used and put back in and used again and put back in. And it has a a lot of pressure on it already outside of the canyon, specifically.
0: Evan Stafford works with American Whitewater, a national nonprofit working to protect and enhance America's rivers for enjoyment and boating.
3: I'm Evan Stafford. Currently, my role is as the National Communications Director for American Whitewater. We're a national organization. I also work on local stewardship issues. I'm from Colorado originally. I was born and raised in Denver. Uh, I now live in Fort Collins, Colorado right along the banks of the Poudre River here, a few hundred yards from the river. As it exits the canyon and kind of enters into civilization at the foot of the mountains, the river is is drawn down almost immediately and and loses a significant portion of the flow to diversion channels and dams and uh, small reservoirs. And these things supply the food we eat and urban and municipal uses it has a lot of draws on it, and these, these things do significantly impact, one, the health of the river through town and through the kind of more urban environments that it travels once it exits the canyon, and also recreation.
0: This idea of the Poudre River being a resource, a working river for communities is long established. When European Americans began digging in, homesteading and building infrastructure on the Front Range in the 1800s and early 1900s, they wanted more water available in the Poudre River. They went up into the mountains and built ditches and canals and reservoirs to divert water into the Poudre that would have otherwise flowed down the west side of the Continental Divide via the Colorado River or down the east side of the Divide via the Laramie and North Platte Rivers into Wyoming and then across the plains.
2: I grew up in Greeley, Colorado. The first settlers who were there in 1870, they built what was called the number three ditch that goes right through the middle of town, which 150 years ago this month first started delivering Poudre River water to the lands around Greeley for ag- irrigated agriculture.
0: This is Jeff Stala, who works for Northern Water, one of the project sponsors we will hear about soon.
2: As I was growing up, my grandfather would take me fishing up and down the Poudre River, all the way up to Chambers Lake which is actually one of the early Trans Mountain diversions from the Laramie River Basin into the Poudre. You get to a high enough point and you can see Long Draw Reservoir, one of the earliest, if not the earliest, big Trans Mountain diversion in Colorado. But that takes water from the Grand Ditch in Rocky Mountain National Park, water that normally would go to the Colorado River, and it moves it north through Laputa Pass up into Longjaw Reservoir and into the Poudre River. And that was occurring in the 1890s. The Poudre River as it is today is so much different than what the European settlers saw because it's getting water from the Colorado River Basin, from the North Platte Basin, and from the the Laramie River Basin. It's getting flows that, that were never seen by the original settlers.
0: The Poudre River starts high in the mountains, flows through wilderness, big valleys and meadows, trees, wildlife, fresh air, gaining more water from side streams. It even has the Wild and Scenic River designation from the federal government as it flows through Rocky Mountain National Park and through U.S. Forest Service lands, and this is the only river in Colorado with Wild and Scenic status. From the Poudre's source to its terminus at the South Platte River in Greeley, it is just over 125 miles. About half of that mileage for the Poudre has that experience of running through the mountains, with very few people living near it. This changes dramatically when the Poudre leaves the Poudre Canyon and heads into Fort Collins, Colorado. Fort Collins is home to Colorado State University, lots of industry, and has a railroad running through town. Fort Collins is in Larimer County, which has a population of about 350,000 people. That may or may not sound like a lot of people. Let's put this in the context of the Front Range, the Front Range of Colorado. The state of Colorado is half mountains and half plains. The mountains fill up the west half of the state, and the plains fill up the east half of the state. The Front Range is the place where the mountains and plains meet in the middle, a line running north to south through the state. Geologically, the Front Range is where the plains rise to the mountains. It is an amazing sight to see, plains at 5,000 feet rising to peaks of 12, 13, and 14,000 feet. There are rivers and streams coming down from the mountains here to the plains. Geographically, the Front Range refers to where all the major urban centers in the state exist. Starting in the north near Wyoming and heading south is Fort Collins, Colorado, then the state capital of Denver and all its metro area. Still heading south in is Colorado Springs, then Pueblo, and a few more smaller towns. Connecting all of these urban areas is Interstate 25 running north-south. Driving along the front range on the interstate, which is about 170 miles, can feel like one long connected strip of towns, cities, homes, humans. All of these cities are on the plains right at the base of the mountains. On this front range are about 4.7 million people, and they all need water. And the population of Colorado, specifically at the Front Range, has been growing rapidly, some estimates suggesting by 13% over the last nine years. So, this story of the Poudre River and the question of how much can this river give is the story and question of all the water supplies on the Front Range.
2: My name is Jeff Stela. I am now the Public Information Officer, part of the communications team at Northern Water.
0: As I stated earlier, there are two projects looking to pull water out of the Poudre River upstream of the city of Fort Collins for municipal use. Here again is Jeff Stela to explain the NISP project.
2: The Northern Integrated Supply Project, which gets shortened to NISP, is a water supply project that really is going to, to firm up water supplies for some of the emerging cities on the Northern Front Range. And what I mean by emerging is you look at communities like Greeley, Fort Collins, Loveland, Longmont, they've been around for more than a century and their water portfolios are very diversified and vast. However, you have some of these smaller communities where it's perhaps easier and more affordable to buy a house and they're starting to grow. They don't have that diversified water portfolio like their bigger brothers. And so in about the year 2000, they came together as a group and said, rather than each of us trying to develop our own water supply, Wouldn't it be better if we cooperated to build a reservoir that would shore up our firm water supplies for, honestly, for decades to come, while also reducing the cost to each of us individually? Because if these communities are going out and trying to buy their water rights on the open market right now, they're going to find that the costs are much, much higher than if they were able to get together and cooperate. And so the Northern Integrated Supply Project really looked at that and said, how can we leverage a water right that Northern Water already had and really use some of the existing water in the South Platte to coordinate operations that would keep the irrigated farms in Weld County still under production while also allowing these emerging communities to have a firm water supply? And so NISP was really brought together as something that solves several problems at once. If there were no NISP, we believe that not only would the communities participating in NISP, but also other entities, both in Northern Colorado and in the Denver Metro area, would really be looking at these irrigated farmlands for their water supply and would be buying and drying up those farms
0: are these water districts strictly providing municipal water for homes or strictly irrigation water for farms, or can they do a mixture of both? So the districts here on the front range are providing municipal
2: and industrial supply. When you get on um, to the Eastern Plains, uh, one of the participants I think does have some ad customers. Really the irrigation water is handled by irrigation districts and irrigation companies. This is for, really for municipal water supply at its heart.
0: The second water project on the Poudre is a pipeline to send water from municipal use to the city of Thornton, Colorado, about 70 miles south of the Poudre River and close to Denver. I contacted the city of Thornton to come on the show, yet they politely declined because they are currently in the midst of a lawsuit over this pipeline with Larimer County. We'll get to that lawsuit later. To explain the Thornton pipeline, I again speak with Evan Stafford from American Whitewater.
3: The Thornton Pipeline is is a smaller diversion project specifically to provide water for Thornton. It is water rights that they own currently and they're trying to exercise. The location of the pipeline that they originally proposed was kind of near the mouth of the canyon. It it would be another draw on the river, more of the June rise or the peak flow of the river, being diverted before it it gets to Fort Collins or anywhere along the plains.
0: There are two projects that want to pull water from the Poudre River and put to use in people's homes for uses we all appreciate. Drinking water, water for cooking, cleaning, bathing. What is the big deal? The challenge with these projects, according to several groups that object to them, is the impact that happens to the Poudre River. As we discussed at the top of the show, the Poudre already has about half its flow taken out of the Poudre River after it leaves the mountains and to add these two projects to that extraction will further dewater the Poudre.
3: The Poudre and rivers in general in the western U.S. rely on snowpack, the natural hydrologic cycle of these rivers. When the snow starts melting, the river comes up significantly, and that is a yearly event and is incredibly important to the kind of life cycle of the river, what some people refer to as maybe the June rise or the spring snow melt or the runoff season. that is a part of a river's yearly life that needs to be maintained for the the health of the river. Taking out water and the timing that that project is proposing is especially gracious in our opinion because it's really taking out a large percentage of the water during a time when the river really needs to have some kind of increased flow as part of spring snow melt.
0: After these extraction points, the river flows into the city of Fort Collins where 160,000 people live. The Poudre runs right through the city and significant work has been completed by the City of Fort Collins to build riverside walking and bike paths, parks near the river, parks that embrace the riparian habitat and support wildlife. One of the parks that the City of Fort Collins has added is a new Whitewater Park. This park is right on and in the Poudre River within the city limits. This park was completed in 2019 and officially opened in October of last year. One of the local Poudre River outfitters will use the Whitewater Park as an experiential classroom to teach river skills.
4: My name is Kyle Johnson. I'm the co-owner and business manager of Rocky Mountain Adventures, which is a rafting outfitter, kayak school, and river sports retail shop here in Fort Collins, Colorado. We operate all of our operations on the Ketchalaputa River, which is Colorado's only designated wild and scenic river. And I oversee the day-to-day financials and administrative tasks at our business, but I also serve as our head kayak instructor, which puts me overseeing all the class curriculum and instruction for our business.
0: Can you describe the Whitewater Park? What does that mean that there's a Whitewater Park? What does it also look like on the land? Is there parking? Is there other things to do besides just stand at the river's edge?
4: A Whitewater Park is a man-made, engineered park of Whitewater features generally designed to enhance the natural river features to provide additional recreation. Uh, Recreational benefits of the Poudre Whitewater Park would be stand-up paddleboarding, kayaking, inner tubing, boogie boarding, we do have two stationary features which makes it really good for beginners learning to participate in freestyle kayaking. Outside of the riverbed, uh, the city did an excellent job of terracing the banks with kind of bleacher style natural rock outcroppings that could provide for great spectator viewing. There is a pedestrian bridge right over the second feature which provides a bird's-eye view of the action whenever kayakers are out doing their thing. There's also really nice facilities. There's a changing room. There's numerous sidewalks, native plant gardens and that kind of thing, ample parking. And over the pedestrian bridge, they've also built a very nice bar-type area with built-in stools and tables where people can dine, take lunch, work from the river's edge. Uh, Really just a nice park. The location of the Poudre Whitewater Park is right on the edge of Old Town, which is downtown Fort Collins, and probably goes for a quarter mile. And then added to all of that is the Poudre River Trail, which follows the length of the Poudre River from La Porte through Fort Collins, goes right through the heart of that park as well.
0: This river trail, Kyle Johnson is talking about, has many spurs through town and runs along the river for many miles and connects a smaller neighboring town to Fort Collins and allows for bike commuting, walking, jogging, and other activities along the river. The funding for the Whitewater Park was a shared effort of taxpayers and local donations.
4: The money raised to build the Whitewater Park was financed through public tax dollars matching of private funds, with approximately half of those funds coming from private fundraising in the local river community. And those efforts were headed by a couple of key members of the local paddling community. Um, and they worked on that over a decade to get the proper funding and permissions, etc., to build the Whitewater Park. It was designed and constructed by S2O. The Whitewater Park is managed by the City of Fort Collins Parks Department and seen as a city park resource.
0: What does Fort Collins Nissan offer? Nissan makes full-size trucks, powerful SUVs, full-size and sporty electric cars, all of which can carry you and your gear to the river. Nissan trucks can load your gear and they can pull your boat to the ramp. The full-size Titan XD is a 5.8 ton truck with strong towing capacity. A Nissan Leaf electric car can load kayaks on a roof rack and has a range of about 150 miles per charge. No gas, just plug it in. Jay, as a career car salesman, What are your thoughts on this Nissan electric Leaf?
1: Nissan was first to come to market with a mass produced electric car. Nissan has done research that's showing that 90% of urban drivers drive less than 40 miles a day. So from that stance, this is a great option for folks who want to be less dependent on fossil fuels. Also, today there are smart chargers that allow you to charge your cars at low peak periods and have a low cost to charge. I have talked to one customer who states he can actually charge his car for free when he charges off the smart charger during the night when there is an overabundance of renewable energy from wind turbines. Also just announced is the all-wheel drive 300 mile range electric self-driving car with ProPilot 2.0, which is a eyes-on, hands-off driving experience. Nissan is calling it the Aria. This electric vehicle will be available in early 2021.
0: The friction at the Poudre River emerges from the intersection of the possible dewatering of the Poudre from the two projects and how that dewatering will impact the health of the river in Fort Collins along the river path, the public access, the Whitewater Park. I spoke with Hattie Johnson from American Whitewater about the interface of the urban river and the citizens of a city.
5: My name is Hattie Johnson. I work for American Whitewater. My job title is Southern Rocky Stewardship Director, and what that ends up being in the arid southwest a lot of the time is water supply enough water in rivers so people can enjoy them.
0: Hattie Johnson has a strong background working with rivers in urban settings that allow a city and its residents to use a river as a natural resource. Typically, this natural resource refers to the use of water for human needs. In addition to the river as a source of water for humans, here we are talking about a river also as a natural resource for human enjoyment, as an aesthetic, a place to simply be near a river.
5: This ability to connect with nature is being capitalized upon in cities across the country to do what they can to provide green spaces. And in a lot of cases, that's along a river. Due to transportation or, or industry or water source, many of our cities around the country are, are built along riverbanks. And so places are trying to to connect to those green and blue spaces because of the benefits that it can bring for community health and quality of life and just the property values of, of the town. And what I've seen in some of these places in my work at American Whitewater, kind of around around the Southwest, is that we're not the Rust Belt. There hasn't been, you know, heavy industry happening along the banks of the river, dumping large amounts of pollution. You know, our pollution usually comes from lack of water in the river Water levels being too low, temperatures getting too high, water levels not getting up to peak flows like they used to that maintain that riparian area, that maintain appropriate sediment transfer throughout the system, things like that. And as communities kind of turn back towards the river to engage it as an asset, that's going to be something that's going to need to be addressed.
0: Can you explain what you understand can be the relationship between a community and they intentionally built Whitewater Park in a city, in an urban area, on the river that's accessible to the public.
5: Whitewater parks, especially in an urban context and especially in a river that has been degraded either physically or with reduced stream flows, it's a really important way and great way to introduce people, citizens, community members to the river that oftentimes is, you know, the source of their drinking water or a river that's working for them. This summer, actually, we've been working with a consultant to help us capture exactly what the use is at the Fort Collins Whitewater Park on the Poudre River. So we've been capturing webcam data stills every few minutes. The results of that are something that I I did kind of expect but it's really cool to just see it in in the numbers. We basically are about 17% of the users out there at any given time are actually in the water. So they're kayaking, they're stand up paddle boarding, they're rafting, they're tubing. That's only 17% of the use overall. The majority of folks are playing with their kids on the banks. They've got their dog, you know, throwing a stick to their dog in the river. And we're talking about, you know, on a Sunday, which is when we see the most use, that's almost 1,600 people in a day out at the Fort Collins Whitewater Park. So it's it's getting high levels of use. Even during the week, we're still at around 1,000 people every day. So that's a lot of people. And that's, that's why I say, in my opinion, that what a whitewater park can provide to a community is, Easily accessible, walkable and bike rideable in a lot of situations, you know, a connection to this river that especially in in Fort Collins prior to the completion of this project, it would be hard to even know that the river was there. And now it's not only just a nice place to hang out, it really allows folks to interact with the river and hopefully then what American Whitewater, what our goals are, are to have folks then become advocates for that river and understand and educate themselves on on kind of what all that river does for them and, and how to best protect the health of it.
0: I'd like you, if you can, if you would talk about another city in Colorado, this is in, in the city of Denver, which has about a 3 million person population that might be a little bit of an urban that metropolitan area, have access to the South Platte River that flows through Denver that has been Mm, kind of um, fixed up, we'll say, through an EPA, Environmental Protection Agency program called Urban Waters Federal Partnership. Can you talk about what you understand that that project has done to allow the citizens, the people of Denver and the metro area to have that interface with the river inside of a city?
5: On the South Platte. They've done a ton of work with a greenway and river and stream improvements that have been focused a lot on improving the ecology of the stream. Also a number of features in the river that are pretty incredible the surf waves. There's a whole Colorado river surfing community that can just go out with their shortboards and rip it up on some really cool waves. The vision is really connecting nodes of park spaces along the river with a greenway and creating this linear park throughout the reach of the South Platte. It's an incredible project that not only had benefits to the ecology of the South Platte, but the communities that surround it have this incredible asset. The South Platte, like the pooter, is it does a lot of work for the, for the city of Denver and the surrounding communities, and this is a, a really wonderful opportunity to, to connect folks to it.
0: In my conversation with Hattie from American Whitewater about the value of this Whitewater Park in an urban setting, she began to tell me about a conversation she had just had at the Whitewater Park in Fort Collins with a kayaker who recently founded a group called Diversify Whitewater. The kayaker she was talking with is Lily Durkey.
6: My name's Lily Durkey. I'm a PhD student in ecology at Colorado State University. I'll be starting my second year this fall, and I study how populations respond to environmental stress. Specifically, I have a background in aquatic entomology, which is the study of aquatic insects, and they're very interesting to me as a kayaker because aquatic insects can tell us about the health of our rivers.
0: Can you talk about Diversify Whitewater and explain the purpose of the organization and the activities that your organization engages in?
6: Antonette Toscano and I founded Diversify Whitewater in June of this year um, to work to increase the accessibility, visibility, and representation of Black, Indigenous, and people of color in the paddle sports. And we work to break down the many barriers that exist that prevent anyone, but especially BIPOC, from participating in outdoor adventure sports We recognize that we were very privileged to be able to start paddling as people of color ourselves and we hope to give that experience to others specifically in colorado but also across the nation we're very small we actually exist under the umbrella of team river runner which is an organization that works to put veterans in kayaks as a form of rehabilitation at no cost to the veterans And because they have this structure of providing paddling equipment and instruction at no cost to veterans, we're able to use their um, model and also their equipment for our organization as well. And Antoinette has been very involved with Team River Runner as she is a veteran of the Army.
0: While Diversify Whitewater has just established itself this summer, they do plan to use the Fort Collins Whitewater Park to teach classes on paddle sports beginning in the spring of 2021. And this winter, they have classes planned for other water-based venues in the region. Growing up, I lived in a medium-sized urban city where I could ride my bike just about anywhere I wanted to go in the city. I spent a lot of time at the variety of city parks and also at the large university in my hometown. Listening to Lily talk about the value of a park as a place to develop identity and inclusion reminded me of that in my own life and how the exposure in the urban parks as a kid truly broadened my perspective of my community. The point I am striving to emphasize is the point that Hattie spoke of earlier about how parks strengthen our humanity. And here, Lily clarifies this message.
6: The great thing about Colorado, especially our new Whitewater Park in Fort Collins, is that it provides a community center for kayakers, for one. So I'm new to Fort Collins. It was great in the spring to be able to go to the Whitewater Park and just to meet people in the community every day. Also, the people on the shore, lots of families gathered there. They could bike, they could walk from their houses and just gather by the river. And, they, and lots of people would watch us. And so having people who look more like me or more like Terrence, who's an African-American kayaker in Fort Collins, who's awesome. And he and I would be there. And I think that was one of the most diverse play spots I've ever been in. And I think having faces like that in a place that's so central to the community it's also visible to the community is really important because people see oh this is a sport that people do for fun and you see that oh look there's some people who look kind of like me and maybe that's something that i could do representation is also a big thing for getting more diverse community involved in kayaking is that you need people who are mentors and role models maybe not to look like you but To have some similarities to your background that make it seem like it's possible for you to get into the sport as well. And so I think if by having whitewater parks in our cities, we show people that kayaking is an option. We show people that it's an awesome form of recreation. And then by having organizations like Diversify Whitewater that provide kayaking lessons at no or low cost to participants, can really connect all the dots and allow more diverse community to be involved in our sport.
0: Another value of an urban whitewater park that is not outstandingly apparent at first glance is how it offers a more simple entry into the complex sport of boating and boating gear. Here again is Lily Durkee with Diversify Whitewater.
6: I have thought a lot about these various barriers that exist for all people, not just people of color in the pedal sports. And I think a lot of it is financial. It seems like in order to even start, you have to one know that this sport exists, but then you need to like pay a professional to give you lessons, and you need to buy your own gear. Whitewater boats new now cost fourteen hundred dollars. For a new kayak to cost fourteen hundred dollars, that's just an incredible barrier for really anyone. And the biggest cost in cities for kayaking is a car more than the gear, or on top of all of the gear, you also need a car to bring your $1,400 boat and your $1,000 dry suit and your $300 PFD and $200 paddle and whatnot. You need a car to put all that stuff in and then take it to the river. In Colorado, which I think is really unique, and this is what I was talking to Hattie about, is that we have whitewater parks in our city centers. Like I've been to Denver, I've seen that the whitewater park flows right through the city. In Fort Collins, our Whitewater Park is right on a very popular bike path, so you don't even need a car to be able to see and experience whitewater here. There were people at Fort, in Fort Collins Whitewater Park who created little bike trailers for their kayaks because it exists along the Poudre Trail, so they would just load up their kayak on their bike trailer and then bike to the river. Even if you don't have a car in Fort Collins, you probably have a bicycle because of how bike-friendly and easy it is to get around a bike in our town. I think that's just an incredible cost reduction is to be able to see people at kayak starts chatting with them say like, Oh, I am maybe interested in getting this sport. That person might respond. Oh, I have this kayak lying around and I'm not using anymore. I let it go for $150 through conversation. You might also get that other gear that you need maybe for around $500 instead of like 2000, you put your kayak, somehow you attach it to your bicycle, come right to the river, meet that same person. And then you're getting lessons. And I think The community building that Whitewater Parks serve and the accessibility of it being along a bike trail is just incredible. And that's not something that I had growing up. I always had to beg my parents to drive me through rush hour to the river and they were always like, eh, I don't really want to do that. But if we we had an option for me to get on my bike and go to the river, I mean, I would have been at the river a lot more days as well growing up. I think a lot of people here can take advantage of that as well.
0: Again, I speak with Kyle Johnson, owner of Rocky Mountain Whitewater, where he is a kayak instructor planning to use the Whitewater Park as a classroom for kayak construction. Let's talk about these projects that could take water out of the pooter as it flows through the city of Fort Collins. Will a decrease in flows impact your business?
4: It certainly could, uh, based on future relationships of using the pooter Whitewater Park. But even more than my professional role, I believe it would have consequences for our paddling community at large and could possibly undermine a lot of the work and effort that's gone into the development of the Whitewater Park and the development of the River Corridor through Fort Collins at large. Before I speak to any particular developments, I kind of want to just foundationally talk about where we're at with the 2020 season, uh, this being the first season that the Whitewater Park's been open. This season, all of us in the pooter paddling community have watched flows at the Whitewater Park very, very carefully as we kind of learn the ins and outs of this new resource that we have. And the truth be told, the seasonal flows through town are already problematic regarding their consistency and our ability to forecast what they may be from day to day, and oftentimes even hour to hour. The pooter, once it leaves, kind of the protected walls of Pooter Canyon, where it's designated wild and scenic, it does become just another over-allocated front-range drainage in a lot of ways. Uh, the amount of allocated water that comes out of the Pooter after the mouth of the canyon is, is staggering. The season, it appears to me that when the canyon sees its seasonal peak flows, there's currently a surplus of water in town, and that's when we're seeing those kind of large water events. But once we reach median flows for the season, it becomes anyone's guess. Uh, I've even seen days where we'll have 800 CFS in the Whitewater Park in the morning and it can be down as low as 200 CFS by 5 p.m. And so, you know, from a business perspective, trying to use a resource that like that as a classroom can be very, very difficult. I could plan a class on a calendar. I could look at seasonal flows in the canyon and kind of looking at the natural flows of the pooter. But when they have no meaningful correlation with what's happening in town, Uh, nor do we have any forecast or plans for when that allocated water is being taken or put back into the river corridor. It makes it very difficult. It makes it quite a gamble to use it as a reliable resource for classes. The truth is any reduction of seasonal flows through Fort Collins would be an unwelcome development.
0: The truth of these two water projects to provide water to municipalities is that they will remove water from the Poudre River for use on the Front Range. As stated earlier, the city of Thornton is not open to interview currently because of litigation around their proposed pipeline, and therefore we cannot hear directly from them if they have a mitigation plan for this removal. NISP, the Northern Integrated Supply Project, does have a mitigation plan laid out that will offer some mitigation for the reduced flows. Jeff Stela from Northern Water explains the mitigation plan. As part of the state permitting process,
2: through the Parks and Wildlife, we had to create a Fish and Wildlife Mitigation and Enhancement Plan. Regardless of what the flows in the pooter are, we're actually required to not only curtail our diversions at the highest of the high points, but then throughout the year, keep water flowing through the pooter at 18 to 25 CFS to make sure that there's not any dry up points between where Glade Reservoir is and then really a diversion down below downtown Fort Collins. We do recognize that peak flows play an important role in river ecosystems. We went about to study how much and how long do those peak flows need to occur to achieve the benefits of what would be the June rise. And in doing so, We recognize that if we could get 72 hours of the peak flow, that it would accomplish the sediment movement and other benefits that are really the keys to the summer high flow. If you leave those alone, then you're getting that ecological benefit. What we're doing is we're shaving off the shoulders of those peak flows. Yeah, it will have an impact on the river. We've identified all sorts of mitigation measures that we can do to make sure that we're not having a harmful effect on the river. And that means working on the channel to make sure that there's enough deep spots in channel to make sure that the cold water fish have a place to go, that we're working on riparian zones to make sure that we're planting trees and keeping them appropriately fed. And also, and this is the key thing, working with those other diverters to install diversions to allow water to be bypassed. Because I talked about how northern water is required to put down year-round bypasses out of the reservoir and into the river, but it doesn't mean anything if there's a diversion dam two miles downstream that can sweep it all out. So we're actually having to work with those diverters downstream to make sure that they've got the structures in place to allow this water to make it down through all the reaches. And that's a key part of this. To the opponents who talk about the effect of these peak flows, my counter is that by doing nothing, you maintain the regimen where the river can be swept at any given time, that the status quo leads to dry spots where you can all walk out with signs and have your picture taken the new regimen that would be required with NISP will ensure that there's always going to be at least 18 CFS in the winter and 25 in the summer going down through the city of Fort Collins to make sure that that river
0: doesn't dry up. I'm curious about this intersection of kind of modern use, this anticipated growth and conservation of water. And when I mean conservation of it, I don't mean the conservation to put it into reservoirs, but the conservation of using, of at the end use of water at the municipal home. What is, is Northern Water doing anything around conservation with their users, these municipal users?
2: At our Berthoud headquarters, We have several acres of demonstration areas of how to have appropriate landscaping for the semi-arid climate of Northern Colorado. We're talking about low water use grasses, xeriscaping options, and really everything in the middle. We're not looking to have everyone look like they live in Tucson, because that certainly is not the climate we have here, but we want people to be using water efficiently and putting it to beneficial use instead of a wasted use. We work with HOAs and municipalities, talking to them about there are ways to create public places with low water use landscaping and still make it look very attractive. Because that makes sense on a whole bunch of levels, not just the abstract how are we using our water, but even in the the economic interest of keeping your water bill down and keeping your maintenance costs down. Because one of the things that our municipalities have done is to promote efficient water use, they have these block tier rates for their water users so that if you're using a ton of water, you're paying much more than if you're using water efficiently and conservatively. We look at our, our role in Northern Colorado as being someone that can help really to distribute the information on how to get that efficient use and how to use the economies of scale to minimize the impact of water use in Colorado.
0: While any water project has its value and support from people, it is rare to also find a water project that does not have its opponents. There is certainly opposition to this NISC project. While I have heard opposition from numerous interview guests for this show, I feel Evan Stafford at American Whitewater speaks to all of the opposition concisely and in a manner that doesn't want to ignore water rights or the relevant need of water, but in a manner that pushes harder to maximize conservation.
3: We don't believe that this project is necessary the way that it is drawn up. We do believe that these communities have water rights that they are within their rights to to call on and to use. The project, however, in our opinion, overestimates the projected need for the communities. We know that they do not currently have in their possession all of the water rights necessary to fill the reservoirs that they're proposing to build. We do not believe that it has taken into account the potential for conservation and efficiency use measures, and essentially we believe that the project design in terms of when for them to kind of activate their water rights will be extremely detrimental to the health, recreation opportunities, and economic input from the river through four columns
0: both of the water projects that we have talked about in this show must gain a 1041 permit from larimer county a 1041 permit is a county level permit issued for projects that have statewide interest yet are at a more local level i spoke with larimer county public affairs director about these two permits The city of Thornton applied to Larimer County for a 1041 pipeline permit to transfer their water from the mouth of the Booter Canyon to the city of Thornton. That permit was denied by the county based on a failure to meet all the 12 criteria that must be met for the county 1041 permit. Since this denial, the city of Thornton has appealed this decision in court and that court case is ongoing. The NIST project also needs a 1041 permit and currently the county of Larimer is in the midst of public meetings where the public is allowed to give testimony.
5: I'm going to keep going back to this. I think it's important for people to understand what the criteria are if they're going to go out and testify in front of the commissioners, either for or against the proposal. If they're testifying on something that isn't part of the criteria, it doesn't necessarily have an impact. But if they understand these criteria and they can make a case for or against whether or not the applicant can meet that criteria, that's how people adequately engage in this process
0: this episode was edited and produced by me sam carter a front range size thanks go out to all the guests for this show all music is composed and performed by diabolical sample tune do you know something great about rivers that might be a show topic email us hello at the thanks so much for joining the river radius
1: This is Jay Weibel, owner of Fort Collins Nissan and Fort Collins Kia. Why do I enjoy river boating and why do I let myself get beat up while boating? For me, it keeps me humble and tough. It revitalizes me. I feel better. I want to personally thank you for supporting the Poudre River and for listening to these shows and thinking about how we can take action. Let's protect the Poudre. Big, bouncy beast, blunts, Pan Ams, uh, air
4: screws, and
0: located on alright well that ends the show